The content discussed in the Left Behind series and therefore this podcast includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. Left Behind is a multimedia franchise that started with a series of 16 best-selling religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B.J. by Tim LaHaye and The future has come to pass. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Survived the Rapture. We're that podcast that slogs our way through the Left Behind novel series so you don't have to. Guess what, Gavin? What, what? We're not doing a novel this week. Oh boy, what 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 could we possibly be doing other than a, a novel? Oh Shane? man, something way better. <laughs> yeah, way better, Shane. Yeah, it's movie time. Oh, God. Well, just the, the behemoth from the deep has risen again for us to take out of its crypt. Left behind to tribulation force yeah. on the silver screen. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about our experience watching the second film in the uh, the Kirk Cameron Left Behind trilogy, <sighs> which is an adaptation of Tribulation Force. Um, I think at the time they really thought that they were gonna turn this into a full, however many movies it yeah, was gonna be franchise. Harry Potter it. Yeah, I, and I mean thinking about the time. It was 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a little bit of looking um, as to what films came out around 2002. Thankfully, this did not have to open against anything particularly heavy. Mm-hmm. It came out October 29th of 2002. So uh, I guess the closest major release after that was going to be Two Towers. But as we go through talking about this movie, um, I want you guys to keep in mind, this movie came out the same year as, like I already mentioned, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Spider-Man. Star Wars Episode 2, Signs, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. (laughs) 2002 was, it was a movie year. Like, there was a lot that came out then. Right, and uh, the budget is down just a little bit from Left Behind 1. We're at $3.8 million instead of a $4 million. But for the third film, that goes up to 4.6. So I thought they were really banking on making the third installment. Maybe. And considering that the third film gets a little wild um, in terms of what they do with like special effects and stuff like that. And we're definitely going to talk about the VFX budget of this movie. Um, I don't know where most of their money went. Yeah. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know where all of that $3.8 million is going. Because you got to assume that that's production budget that has nothing to do with marketing and distribution because normally they don't record that kind of stuff or it's Mm -hmm. not like widely available. Usually I think the conventional wisdom is like double it and that's going to be your marketing and distribution though. It's probably not the same thing for cloud 10 pictures as it is for like, you know, a Disney or a Warner brothers. So just off the top of your head, give me your basic impressions of this movie compared to the last one or just in general. How'd you feel about Tribulation Force? At the very beginning, I had hopes because like I went in trying not to like, you know, I'm on air kind of being like, oh, no, I don't I don't want to watch it. So honestly, I went, I'm like, OK, I, my expectations were this can't be worse than the book. They, 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 they have to find a way to, uh, <laughs> to make this somewhat better. At least it's going to be shorter. Like for the first, I would say third. I was like, okay, you know, I'm I'm on board as much as I can be for a left behind film. And then it started tanking really bad after that. All right, about what point did it start tanking for you? I would say like around like uh, the beginning of act two. A lot of the times where like they're just spending too much time in Rayford's house, not really doing anything. Once those scenes started picking up frequency, uh, that's when I didn't really like it. Okay. I think that there are some things that this movie did better yeah i think that it actually gave us sort of stakes a little bit like it tried to tie a few of the moments into the plot a little bit more instead of kind of being all over the place but i think in its attempts to do that it severely bungled it yeah um so i guess probably the most important things to talk about here since everybody's already heard us talk about the book is to talk about some of the changes that they made to the plot and how that echoes out and affects the rest of the film Mm-hmm. So for one thing, they jump right into the jobs with Buck and Ray. Yeah, that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Is Buck 
reluctantly, but not really reluctantly accepting the job working for Nikolai, Ray going after the pilot job, which he initially refuses, um, I think kind of similarly to the book. In the end, he goes out like, you know, searching for it and he gets it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. There were some changes as far as how the witnesses are portrayed, because we definitely get the witnesses in this one. There was not hilarious. as much as them as I'd want, I would want. Like they, Because here's the thing. Yeah, they, the witnesses are in, but you don't actually really see them until the end. They're just talked about. And and like, yeah, it's, it's, they, they talk a lot about the witnesses, but I was like, you could at least show them maybe on like TV. You know, they don't do much of that. Yeah, they just talk about them. Yeah. They do the one thing that you hear in screenwriting classes of the show don't tell. Yeah. We get a lot of telling about the witnesses until they're revealed at the end. And I think that that reveal was supposed to be some kind of a big moment. Yeah, it, but it <laughs> fell flat. It's like the final episode of The Mandalorian with like a special cameo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just didn't work. And that's part of, I think, the story they were trying to tell. Because the biggest change, I think, by far was that Zion Ben-Judah as a character is shown to be under the influence of the Antichrist. Yeah. He's doing his research. It's a big deal. He's going to announce who he believes the Messiah is. And that plot point is just as unbelievable in this as it is in the book. That casting for Ben-Judah, that is not not the actor I would have casted. No, and... There's a vibe to him that reminded me of someone, and I I still can't figure it out. But it just is not who I saw in my for head. me. It, uh, I even in my notes right. Who is this Newt Gingrich looking ass? <laughs> he kind of did, I guess. Um, he, I just pictured Ben Judah younger mm-hmm. uh, because he's always described as younger than Hyam. Um, and so I guess I saw more of a a younger actor, maybe like mid forties or something. Right, but. He's under the control of the Antichrist, and he is actually going to deliver a speech that says Nikolai is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Um, And that becomes a whole plot point of espionage where, like, Ray is stealing the speech off of Nikolai's computer. Buck is finding out, like, oh, no, he's been Jedi mind tricked, too. We got to show him um, these old guys at the Wailing Wall. Maybe that'll fix it. It's not a weird change um, because it gives... Buck and Ray kind of something to fight against. Yeah. Because really they are doing the most for the whole movie. Like Bruce has basically nothing to do and Chloe has next to nothing to do. Um, they do give her a little like B plot involving a, a dying firefighter, which they keep cutting back to. And then of course, sort of the will they won't they with Buck stuff that still gets shoved in there. I think you could have cut all of that. Yeah, I think so too. And I understand they have to make adaptations just to, um, to like, I, I'm not, I'm not criticizing it for not being a, a totally book loyal left behind movie because like, all right, there's a story you could tell, um, like just by a- a- adapting it how you want, but like they don't do it well. Cause the person I was watching it with, I, at a certain point I paused the movie and I go, okay, I'm going to ask you a few questions. You subjected is- somebody else to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, Look, I'm I'm not slamming it for not being faithful to the book either. If anything, I think it should have been more unfaithful. I think you should have cut more things out and trimmed your story down and told maybe added some stuff to tell a better story because this movie runs at a tight 90 minutes. Yeah, like there's and like it's the, the it's weird the stuff that they kept and the stuff they chose to keep like weird. Like the cookie scene, that's the in there. cookie scene's there. Yeah. Oh man. Also, and cookie scene uh, did not meet expectations. That was the worst way they could have adapted the cookie scene. I feel. I mean, I first of all, don't adapt it. <laughs> Second of there all, there was no cookie that he was wiping off. He was wiping off nothing from her cheek. Oh no, no, it was there. Well, it was there. There was there was chocolate on her cheek. Oh okay. I, didn't see I went back and rewound it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? Did like props and makeup mess up? No, no, no. It's there. But, like, the cookie really isn't in an establishing shot. Like, and I don't even want to get too hung up on this because it sounds psychotic. But I know that we've kind of made a lot of jokes about that scene and how cringe it is. And they put it in the movie. Yeah, I, uh, I pulled my friend watching the movie with me and I, go, I went, hey, uh, what's going on in this scene? And all he could say is. I think they're in Jerusalem because it says they're in Jerusalem. (laughs) And then I said, why is it bad that Ben Judah's um, script? um, uh, Like, uh, why is it bad that Ben Judah's giving a script? And he just goes, Carpathia, I I think. Yeah, um, Yeah. they blow by plot points 
so fast. Yeah, and if you didn't, I, I feel like if you hadn't read Tribulation Force, you would be completely lost. I think you would be. Yeah. Um, even having seen the first movie. Yeah. I think. Because in the original book, we get Zion introduced early and often, and his speech is reinforced, as is all of his research. Um, we have Hyam as a character who is connected to Zion, saying like, hey, this is an old student of mine. This is what he studies. He's very brilliant. Hyam was completely absent from the movie. Yeah, there was no Hyam whatsoever. That's a change I didn't like. Yeah, I didn't um, like that either. Because to give Buck someone else to play off of, because Kirk Cameron is very wooden, um, his performance in this movie compared to even the last one where he was still wooden, not great. Wait, which, who's this? Kirk Cameron. Yeah, 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 Kirk yeah. Cameron, yeah. Kirk Cameron's not that good. Brad Johnson also, um, may rest in peace, Brad Johnson died in February. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, the, the guy that plays Rayford. Yeah, oh, February 18th. Yeah. I thought he was fine. Yeah, no, he's- I thought he was fine. I thought the the girl that played Chloe was fine. Um, You know, they're reprising their roles from the first one. I think Brad Johnson probably did a better performance than Kirk Cameron. He, I liked it better when he was on screen. Yeah. I mean, and it's not just because I can't, separate Kirk Cameron from either growing pains or <laughs> just being Christian celebrity Kirk Cameron, even though that's kind of true. Every scene he was in, it was very kind of high school drama class. Like kind of, yeah, did, I'm not, I'm not crazy, right? No, like I'm not, not judging yeah. him too harshly. Like, dude, you not, were a professional actor. Like you were on television. Yeah. Some of, uh, I even wrote my notes. Some of the scenes did get kind of the roomy with like some of those wooden dialogue. Yeah, definitely. And like, there's some weird choices with how things are shot and like the blocking and the direction and kind of the editing is weird. They will linger on shots of people just standing there doing nothing mm-hmm. for long periods of time, which feels kind of nineties TV, almost like you have sort of a weird um, moment of just music, like just score. And then it's like Kirk Cameron standing there doing like stage business in the background. Like he's unpacking something or he's like, taking somebody's coat or something like that. And there's a long period of silence. I'm like, oh, you could have cut there. Mm-hmm. But clearly they couldn't have because if they cut anything else out of the movie, we've got an hour long movie. Yeah. And like, and then you're having to condense and like uh, the plot to an even like an already con- like crazy plot. You're having to condense even more down with less information given to the audience. Yeah, I know. And, and also, um, Verna Z. I was actually just about to talk about Verna. She, the, the actress that plays Verna, pretty all right. All right, so yeah, Verna shows up for one scene, is a bitch, and then leaves. and then leaves like it, it's nothing. So I did want to talk a minute about some of the things that they clearly carried over from the books. We talked about the cookie thing, yeah, that seemed to be there just because they were in the book. Yeah, the Verna scene got Buck to the apartment. So that there could then be the misunderstanding with Chloe. That was weird. That was played kind of weird. That was weird. And I didn't like the girl that played his assistant. Mm -hmm. Other than that, it's not really clear because Verna walks in and she yells at Buck and says, oh, you can't touch anything, do anything, move anything while you're in this office. I assume they're in Chicago, like he's out of the New York office and he's moved to Chicago. But she has that one weird altercation with him. They don't carry the scene further the way they do in the book. And then she's just out of the movie entirely. Mm-hmm. We have Chris Smith yeah, back the, again. The John C. Riley looking. Cool. He does look like a little bit like John C. Riley. Give him the hair. Yeah, the whole liar, thief, adulterer, like witness. Okay. Yeah. That was kind of that was poorly acted. I mean, it was poorly acted, but it, in like an after school special kind of way. Yeah. But so what we're talking about is so instead of committing suicide, uh, like he does in the original first book, the character of Chris Smith, Rayford's co-pilot, is still alive. And there's a B plot for about the first third of the movie where he is coming to church with Ray, decides to kind of reject the message, storms out. Ray tries to talk to him. There's kind of a back and forth of like, should I believe in this God stuff? Like, I'm a good person. And then Nikolai's the Antichrist. Come on, man. Come on, man. And then Kirk Cameron, not Ray, because Buck has to slide in and do it. Um, because Kirk Cameron gets to give his kind of Christian apologetics message a little bit. Like, well, have you ever lied? Well, that makes you a liar. Have you ever stolen? Well, that makes you a thief. Have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? Well, that makes you an adulterer. You know, all Mm -hmm. these things, which is stuff that I heard in church all the time. 
in that like, oh, by God's standards, we're all sinners and we're all terrible and we're all bad people. And the way that Cameron delivers it is identical to the way of the master. You're familiar with that, right? Uh, remind me. Okay, so Way of the Master is a evangelism training series that Cameron did uh, with another evangelist named Ray Comfort. I've mentioned this on the show before. I think you have. Um, it's a series of, I think you originally buy them on v- VHS tapes, then you can get it on DVD, and I'm sure it's probably streaming somewhere now. But it's a curriculum to teach people how to evangelize. Um <laughs> And I think it's most infamous. It showed up on a lot of early like Reddit atheist type stuff um, as kind of law fodder mm-hmm. because what they, they were holding up a banana in one of the scenes and it was showing it to the camera and being like, look, the banana, it's made perfectly to hold in the human oh, hand God, yes, and I have only seen this. our fingers can peel the banana and it's a source of food. And this proves that intelligent design is a thing oh, and now i remember this whole this whole digression yeah oh yeah, yeah intelligent design um is a christian code word for creationism um they it's a it's a marketing term yeah uh, when they're talking about teaching it in schools as opposed to godless evolution um and it it's goofy and it's a bad argument and it's very very silly like the moment it's held up to scrutiny but uh. seeing kurt cameron holding up a banana in like a gif is always funny. Yeah, the uh, the next scene after the uh, the Chris witness scene where Chris is like about to shoot himself and Rafer goes in. Shoot no. himself in the chest. Yeah, that's a weird one. That's a weird. Don't don't do that, man. Like that's if you you're need gonna... to trade that gun for God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh man, we're going for the chest on this one. That's a normally don't see that. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that might not kill you, buddy. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna suck. It's just gonna take a long time to die. Ugh. Um, going right for like his sternum too. Yeah, Chris with a gun point himself goes. God is dead. Uh, it's very it's a very emotional scene. He has yeah. some Joker moments where he turns the gun on Ray and starts freaking out. <laughs> he doesn't quite go full Joker mode. Yeah, but <laughs> he's close. <laughs> um, oh man, there's so many moments of this movie that were just amazing. Uh, Rayford's dream locket. Oh god, that? yeah, with like with uh, with Ghost Irene. Yeah, uh, Ghost Irene plus the girl in white, and we're gonna get to the woman in white later. Okay, <laughs> just I don't want to get there just yet because it's so good. Um, yeah, it, Ray has a dream early in the movie. He's in the church, and you don't know it's a dream. And then he like sees Irene, and she like slow walks toward him, and like puts something in his hand and says. A phrase that comes up a few times, may you walk in the faith of the Lord. That felt like such a weird thing to say Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't think that it's in the Bible anywhere. And it also doesn't make like all that much grammatical sense. Um, May you walk in the faith of the Lord. I'm nitpicking here, but Mm -hmm. but like it just it clanged for me really weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, then he wakes up and has the locket in his hand. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That's some, that's some, he, he's got some Holy Spirit magic stuff going on. Uh, it's, yeah, and that's not all that he's got. <laughs> oh boy. About Gordon Curry. How do you think he did in this? Gordon Nic- Curry. Nikolai. Oh, Gordon, yeah, Nikolai. Um, he's I, he was fine. Not as good as a performance in the first one. He's kind of falling off. But he's phoning it in yeah. a little bit. I, I think he wanted to be there kind of because um, we saw that weird clip last time where he was getting interviewed on some evangelical TV show. Um, and we could tell that he like didn't super want to be there, but he was kind of having fun with Ugh, I'm the bad guy. You know, like, I don't know if they cut his salary for this one or what, but like. He definitely seemed like he was a little bit lower energy, kind of yeah. phoning it in. The uh, the rooftop meeting scene was pretty good, where like he's trying to convince Buck to work when they're like, "We hold the secret to world peace, Buck." Oh, giving him the full Metal Gear Solid two spiel. Yeah, I even I, I wrote this could, for some reason I wrote this could be a Batman scene. I should stop watching this film and go watch the new Batman. And then you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> How was that, by the way? It was actually really good. Uh, I have uh, I have to report something to the audience. Um, I was really exhausted the night I went and watched Batman, so I managed to stay awake for the entirety of Tribulation Force, but fell asleep during Batman. Not because it was bad, but it was tired, but I just had to report that to let you know. Eternal <laughs> shame. So you're going to go see it again? Yeah, I'm going to see it again. I need to go see it. It's really good. We should go watch some good movies. Yeah, you? I need to palate cleanser after this. Maybe we'll watch <laughs> Batman. So I, I liked the rooftop scene because it felt like Oh, he could just throw him off the rooftop. I think they might have been trying to be clever with this. Mm-hmm. 
as a biblical allusion. Oh, okay. Did you catch it? No. Okay. There is a point at which Jesus is tempted in the desert where Satan takes him to a high place overlooking the city and says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you will oh, bow down. I, that's clever. I, it's like a coin flip, man, about whether they meant to do that and thought they were being clever or whether they just sort of bumbled into it. I'm going to lean on the former. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to give him that credit. I may not on the next scene because I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, he's in an elevator and it's on floor 10 and it's counting down nine, eight, seven, like something is coming, you know? So we're doing like a countdown thing. There was at least a cinematographer on this movie, <laughs> like mm-hmm. for better or worse. So maybe they thought they were going to get some cool moments, you, you know, know, with the cinematography. It was weird. Cause like they had, they had a lot of moments in this where they were doing flashbacks where they're recycling uh, footage from the first one. The first one was a much better shot movie. Like I, I think I, so. I would say. Yeah, because like all of the like the flashbacks looked better than the movie that we were currently. Oh yeah, watching. bad bad CGI and all. Yeah, um, definitely. Oh like the the lighting in this movie was really flat. Do you notice that mm-hmm. it was kind of lit like a Marvel movie? Like, in a way, yeah. And that's one of my like recurring criticisms of Marvel movies is they're lit in a very flat way. And I know why they do it. They do it to make it easier to animate the visual effects on top of mm-hmm. this movie. Didn't have that problem. <laughs> We want to talk about the visual effects real quick because we get basically like two VFX shots. Oh, I think that's it. Okay. There's there's the witnesses breathing fire. Uh, um, there's there's kind of a lead up to that. There's a little bit of a, a weird jittery camera thing that they do right before the witnesses that we'll talk about later. So there's that and it looks terrible. And they breathe fire on exactly two guys, um, which I hope that those guys got their hazard pay for being in those those flame suits. Mm-hmm. And then there's Spoopy Nikolai. <laughs> I, I, I refer to this as the Tails doll curse, Nikolai. Oh, my God. But, yeah, they do, like, a weird jump scare where he goes, whoa. God, yeah, there's a Nikolai jump scare. As someone who, who can't really handle himself a jump scare, um, I didn't like it. But there, I think it happens on the 216, uh, even though they don't call it that. Mm-hmm. But so they're on the 216, and there's, like, a tense espionage type moment like uh i know that you know that i know that you know moment with nikolai and uh, ray Mm -hmm. and nikolai does his signature double handshake thing with ray and when he touches his hand nikolai turns into a weird zombo he turns with like like black eyes yeah he's got like yeah the ring wraith or like the hollowed from dark souls like he gets really gaunt and then his eyes go completely black and they do like a weird like thermal vision like color morph thing on him too for yeah. like a split second. It's weird and it does like the like the Frodo touch in the ring like the ah. and, then, <laughs> and then right before that though Nicholas like hey you uh, you sl- did you ever sleep with Hattie or anything dude was that from the book I don't think so I think it might have been maybe. I think that might have been in the book okay maybe because I something about that made me go oh I think I remember that I I could totally be making that up now. The him doing espionage in the plane, that was one of the few, like, tense moments of the film, I would actually say. Yeah. If I didn't know the plot, like, okay, he doesn't get caught, I would have been like, oh, okay. Like, this is, uh, I would say this is, that was, a, that was, like, probably one of the better scenes. I think most of the tension comes from the fact that Brad Johnson is the one doing the sneaking, and he is seven feet tall. Yeah, this whole thing, man. <laughs> He's trying to sneak around. His big hands with the small flash drives. Yeah, yeah, the clap of his big hands keeps alerting the guards. <laughs> So, yeah, and, and he does a couple of sabotage moments on the plane. So I'd go with you that I'm like, okay, these are some fun moments. Like, I'm actually paying attention. So much of the movie that was supposed to be, like, post-apocalyptic and, like, impactful was just bad. Yeah. Like, because they can only ever have, like, five extras in a given scene except for the end. I just wrote, uh, oh, it's Chicago hell. <laughs> <laughs> because at one point... um, Kirk Cameron is riding around on his motorcycle um, with his helmet because he's a good boy um, looking like Peter Parker on his Vespa. And he pulls up in front of some building and there's like two guys trying to break out the windows in a van. And it's very clear that the extras like didn't have prep on what they were supposed to do here. Like they didn't know how to break a window and the window itself was not made of the right kind of glass. So they couldn't just break it out and make it like, you know, look easy. Um, and then like some UN peacekeepers just show up and shoot the f- out of them. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> Kirk Cameron's like, oh, hey, man, you didn't have to kill him. 
like gets in the line of fire after they're already dead. And uh, oh, yeah, when they shoot them, they also clearly don't know how to use guns. They just like use Adobe Flash to uh, put muzzle flashes in front of these guns. It's so bad, dude. It was so bad. Like once we got, I got to the Jerusalem scene, uh, and we heard the most Middle Eastern stock music on LimeWire they could find. Oh yeah, yeah. It sounds like it sounds like something between like Prince of Egypt and Witcher Three. It's just <laughs> yeah. At, at that point, I paused the movie and went and bought some White Claws to finish the movie because I couldn't. Dude, everything about the scenes that were quote unquote Jerusalem was ridiculous. Oh yeah, that everything looked like not what Jerusalem would actually look like. It looks like. Like there's torches everywhere. <laughs> the sconces and torches were the thing really getting me. Now there's <laughs> there's a few places that look like, oh, that looks like it could actually be like a real modern place. And understanding that like they're near the Wailing Wall, a lot of that architecture is intact, sure. But the torches and the goats and like the like it just was Bible movie set mm-hmm. and not what a modern movie shot in the Middle East would look like. To its credit, though, it didn't do the uh, every American movie shooting in a country that's uh, not in the West or not America, where they put that weird orange filter over everything. Yeah, didn't quite do that. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, they, didn't they do that they in put the first the, one? Oh, they had to, right? Yeah, I thought they, they did. did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So they didn't have that color grading over it, which was at least that. And you can't say that about some uh, American movies. There's like this one uh, that when Ben Judah was at the restaurant that you had some people in some like spirit Halloween Jewish uh, costumes. Oh, did they? Yeah. Like they were. Oh, no. They, 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 it looked kind of out of place. They look like, um, uh, I don't know. There's there's so much to nitpick. Like, did you notice the weird Ray baseball cap scene? Uh, refresh me. Uh, so they're sitting. They're sitting in Bruce's office in the church and they're talking about the antichrist they're getting their plans together and in one shot ray has no hat on his head they cut away they cut back baseball cap (laughs) like we don't see him put it on but it's just it was a very jarring like ah where did that come from (laughs) and like they kept it in (laughs) i don't know if that's the only shot they got or if that was just the best take but like yeah they kept in the weird continuity jump of him suddenly having a baseball cap on (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I think I vaguely remember that. Um, also, the weird thing of, like, the, the guy in the hospital that Chloe is taking care of, that man whole ass just had jam on his face. Um, Wait, what? Like, the, the makeup looked like he just had jam on his oh, face. Oh, the firefighter. Yeah, the firefighter. Okay, we should probably mention what the subplot is. So, um, they've turned part of the church into, like, a makeshift hospital. At one point during the first third of the movie, some firefighters come in. They're like, you got a burn farm in here. We need a bed. And Chloe basically spends the rest of the movie when she's not doing will they won't days with Buck, like nursing this guy back to health. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's implied that he isn't a Christian, even though he's like quoting the Bible a lot. It's weird. Um, But the first thing that I thought was, okay, you can't do this here like this is not a sanitary environment like also like this isn't great and you're right the makeup is not good also it seemed that like he was there for a few days in between scenes and when they cut back he still had the jam blood on his face i'm like chloe have you not washed this man's face i have no idea like like this this is the most unsanitary hospital they're not cleaning blood off of people they're just like they're i don't know like this is the the worst hospital Chloe's not doing her job right for sure all right, we're going to talk about a few of the Chloe and Buck scenes. We got it. So we get the Chloe and Buck sort of initially flirting and kind of like not saying it like, I miss you. I want to make sure I can come back to you and stuff. But most of the time when it cuts to Kirk Cameron, like he's not touching her. Yeah. Like he leans in to touch her and then like it'll shoot from like his chest up so you don't see his arms. That's not every scene. There are a couple of them where they actually embrace Kirk Cameron's like wife is just watching intently from behind the camera, <laughs> making sure he doesn't. He's still. Faithful. I think that's him. Dude. Yeah, I think so. I don't think that's her. Yeah. Like, I'm being real honest. Like, I think that that is Kirk all the way. I did notice there are a couple scenes where they embrace, but they never kiss. Yeah, there's no kissing. There's no kiss, which we knew that going into it. That there's he a won't. cheek kiss, I think. But yeah, there's a kiss on the cheek. Um, But yeah, no, no, no smooching. Uh. <laughs> There's some hugging and some learning and some uh, some oh man, aren't we silly? Which they kept that in, and it's so yeah. They kept the porch scene in. Oh yeah, he doesn't like 
offer to sleep on the porch. No, which, you know, and they don't they don't go on a walk and talk about they're both virgins. Yeah, they don't do that. Um, so in in that sense, I feel like the movie is better because it leaves out a bunch of that dumb bullshit. Yeah, but also percentage wise, a good bit of the movie is still that. Yeah, it's because the book is largely that. Yeah, and I think that they could have been a little more bold with some of their subplots because clearly they don't have a problem adding in new characters. They don't have a problem carrying characters over. If I'm going to sit and watch your movie, like if I'm going to the theaters to watch this and a good degree of the plot is, are these two people going to get together? I don't like your movie. Yeah. And again, same thing true with the book. The biggest problem for the movie for me is that they do not reinforce that the real stakes are this Israeli scholar is going to declare Nikolai Carpathia the Messiah until like an hour into this 90 minute movie. Like that's my biggest problem with it. Like having that early on and maybe some more like witness stuff, like a showing them early on. I think that would have improved it. Like, like even like making more of the movie about the witnesses, like even like showing on TV and Buck doing journalistic stuff on that. That would have been cool because that's like, those are the characters that are cool in the movie. They're the supernatural aspect. They're, they're like pivotable to this rapture story that they're committed to tell. So like, why not show the preachers that are telling you about the rapture? Yeah. With the length of time that the movie was, um, I think I could best sum this up by saying it feels like a weaker episode of a longer TV series. Yeah. Of course it's 30 minutes over what you'd get out of a TV episode but it feels like an episode that you've kind of got to get through to see something else. And you never want that. It dragged at points. Like I did have to pause and come back to it. Um, I was able to get through it relatively quickly. Maybe it took two hours Mm -hmm. um, with my notes and everything, but like, it was rough. So some things that jumped out at me, they do say the title. There is a title drop. Yeah. Bruce says, uh, we have to form our own tribulation force. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chloe does have her conversation with Bruce about romantic relationships, but she makes sure to say between a man and a woman. Did you catch that? No. Uh, she's like, yeah, you know, romantic relationships, you know, between a man and a woman. That's it's 2002, baby. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta sneak that in. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I loved Buck getting hauled off by goons that was uh, cool. to go to the rooftop. I did like the rooftop scene. Like I said, he kind of gives Buck the Metal Gear Solid 2 plan of like, People have too much information and everyone's scared and we have to control the flow of information in order to keep society sane and functional and peaceful. And I was like, I can get behind that. (laughs) It's a good villain plan. The scene like after um, like Ben Judah does the um, his speech on television and Nick uh, has his freak out. That's pretty cool. He yells at he throws across the room, has a mental breakdown and then yells at God. This isn't the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. He does shake his fist at God. I OK. I hated that. Yeah. You hated know, that scene. So um, this is at the end of the movie. The whole Ben Judah saga has reached its completion, which was different from the book because one, he does it to a crowd. He's on the Temple Mount, I think. Yeah, I think so. And he's delivering like a press conference on the Temple Mount to a crowd of onlookers instead of broadcasting it. Nikolai is watching because he's waiting to basically be named the Messiah, which again, I think that is a positive change for the most part, at least for the narrative side of it. Ben Judah flips the script at the last minute, says it's Jesus. And Nikolai has like a brooding Kylo Ren villain moment where like Hattie comes in to comfort him and he's like, leave. And then he starts throwing shit all around the cabin and freaking out and starts shaking his fist at God, like you said. And it didn't work. You know, okay. He so- wasn't he wasn't committing to it, man. Like I needed like some angry Baron Harkonnen screaming, you know, like he he just wasn't into it. Here's the thing. As far as the left behind cinematic universe goes, that I had fun with that scene. Like it it helped me get to the end. I was like, "Ah, this is funny." Oh, at least. Look, look, man, get get your yucks where like, you can. I, I didn't think it was a good scene as far as um like um like I know, scene. we're grading on a curve here. <laughs> <laughs> God, man. Oh, I wrote down. How about a silly one? Because <laughs> they're in the fo- so Buck and Chloe go into a photo booth at one point, and uh, and Kirk Cameron literally says, "Okay, how about a silly one?" <laughs> yeah, that's, that was fun. Oh, it's so stupid. Also, um, the it, they're they're like I'm guessing they're saving it for World at War, Left Behind Three, but uh, the ending there there was no World War Three in that. That would have been a good at least cliffhanger. I know it has a terrible ending. Yeah, the ending is 
horrid. So let's get to the ending in just a second because we need to talk about the climax, which has kind of been Judah's. Can we call it a conversion? I guess. Call that scene a conversion? Okay. So the big plan is Buck has lied to Nikolai and Steve Plank. Steve is in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, And said, hey, I want to discredit these two crazies at the Wailing Wall. I bet if I can get a camera in there and bring Dr. Ben Judah with me, he's the greatest biblical scholar and rabbinical scholar ever. He can make them look like fools. We'll put it on TV. And of course, Nikolai's not having it. So he's like, he's like, oh, yes, good idea. Good idea. Double the guards. (laughs) And so uh, Buck and Ray decide to do an operation to go to the Wailing Wall. And there's guards there and they're like, you know, nope, don't come any closer. And they're, you know, raise their guns and whatever. And earlier in the movie, Ray has been looking at a memorial for people who have been vanished away and is approached by this girl who is wearing like all white. Like she's wearing like a white linen top and like white pants. And I think she's barefoot. I think so. And she like reaches out and takes his hand and is like, did you lose someone too? Oh God. Ray then immediately gets pulled away for something else in another scene. While Buck is being held up at gunpoint by these guards later in the movie, Girl in White shows back up and she takes Ray's hand and says the same thing that Irene said in the dream of like, may you walk in the faith of the Lord. And then she starts singing Amazing Amazing Grace. Grace. Holy sh**. Was this scene terrible? Yeah, did she just, did she stop time with Amazing Grace? Yeah. <laughs> she sings and it stops time and it makes all of the guards go like, you know, we disagree on this scene because that was my, this was my favorite scene. Oh man, this scene was so bad. It was awful because she's singing, but they keep the score going, like the regular score to the movie. It doesn't swell into the chords of amazing grace which you would think that it would get your audience kind of like oh it's a key change oh really feeling it emotionally it doesn't and her singing clashes is super dis like discordant with the score it sounds terrible like not that she's you know singing poorly she's doing fine but it is being played over that score and it sounds like garbage you know, yeah, okay, yeah, like, the, the audio mixing aside, though, a- out of, like, everything else in the movie, seeing someone amazing grace some guards into pacification and then breathing fire on the guy, again, I gotta take, like, where you I You had four million dollars. <laughs> I'm sorry, man, like, th- this was- yeah. Awful. Yeah, for, for, yeah, for, I almost thought this movie had a screenwriter up until the point where I saw that. And I was like, oh, well, clearly that guy was on strike. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Like, it was awful. How much money did that Nikolai, like, special effect cost them? At the time, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Oh, God. Um, I don't know how much those kinds of morphing effects and, like, laying over and that kind of stuff cost. Um, the fire effects definitely weren't practical when they came out of the witnesses' mouths, so that was also CG. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that they did on a TV screen, for the most part, seemed to be CG. Like, they super probably had a green background it was a, compo- it was a composite with, shot uh, the tv footage they had and i'm now like getting to like little stuff to be able to talk what i liked there's a few moments where like when they actually showed tv footage i was like this is pretty good stock tv footage i didn't even notice <laughs> the thing i did notice about the tv was there's so many times that the plot goes to cut the feed cut the feed <laughs> um and that's actually what ray is doing inside the 216 during the climax with uh with zion's speech is he pulls a fuse out of one of the boxes in the plane and i guess he just knows which fuse is the right one to pull mm-hmm. that disables all their communications which i would assume would also disable outbound communications for the plane itself maybe i'm overthinking this but like it just it doesn't seem i don't want to get all cinema sins on this you know but mm-hmm. like I'm allowed to because this is a left behind movie. I'm going to nitpick it. We kind of end with that big Zion Ben Judah announcement. And it's the same stuff that's in the book. You know, it's the same kind of flimsy. These are all the prophecies he fulfilled. And it's only one man. And all of these things definitely happened and were not interpreted by other writers over hundreds of years. This is all absolute fact. We know for a fact that all these things that the gospels say actually happened. And therefore, Jesus is Messiah. What I thought, considering what the book says, which is that 
Zion Ben Judah is immediately branded like a heretic and everybody comes after him. I don't understand why they did it in public. Like that was kind of the point Mm -hmm. of him doing it from a studio. And there is like a little bit there. I think one woman in the crowd goes like blasphemer, (laughs) but like, that's it. And then Buck runs up to him and is like, we got to get you out of here. And he's like, I'll be fine. (laughs) And then he just is. Um, So you want to talk about this bad ending? Yeah. There exists a timeline that has a decent tribulation force movie. This ain't it. It's not. Um, The way the movie actually ends, we don't get the time skip, um, but we do get at the end of the movie, everyone has seen some of Ben Judah's speech on TV. um, And yay, we did a win for God. But they're back in the church and everybody's singing how great thou art. And Buck just kind of walks in and everybody smiles at each other and pats backs and they pan out and that's the end. Yeah, the ending of the film is just when you're in uh, your Baptist church and everyone's like, all right, everyone shake hands with each other and hug. That was the ending. Yeah, it was. And the thing that's weird to me, and I just wrote Buck's OPSEC is terrible. Yeah. He's already kind of in trouble for taking Benjuda to the Wailing Wall. And then he shows up at this church. On top of the fact that, like, even Hattie already knows and has said to Ray, like, oh, you're one of those Bible thumpers. You think Nikolai's the Antichrist. So you have Buck going through there and, and basically compromising himself really early, which is a double bad for the ending. Like, it just, ah, uh, the ending doesn't even feel good. Like, I think that if you didn't know these books, even if you kind of saw the first movie, You'd be completely lost. Yeah, and I even I even think like if you hadn't read the mo- uh, the books and you were just coming into the Left Behind series, seeing the movie, you wouldn't be that drawn into it. And like this was a ninety minute film where nothing happened. Uh, and I know that's an exaggeration, but like I mean, next to nothing happens. Yeah, I mean the only thing at stake is this man reads a report that he did about how Jesus is the biblical Messiah. Yeah. That's it. Everything else, a guy doesn't kill himself. A couple kind of get together. A man has a plane job now. A uh, man dies in hospital. Yeah, man dies in hospital. Two men get roasted to death. We meet two old guys. And then man reads his book report and says Jesus is Messiah. Everyone claps. And everyone claps. <laughs> and, and that's it. Like, that's the movie. And I don't know why we got the movie that we did, because I think we're in for a change when we get to the third one, because it's not even called Nikolai. They call it World at War. Um, And there is a very specific scene that I'm waiting for in the new one that I've seen a clip of already that is very silly, Um, but in like a cool pulpy action kind of way, very silly. Um, They might have taken a lesson away from this and gone, well, maybe we ought to, you know spice up the action yeah, a little actually, bit. It's uh, the uh, the producers are just poking the movie with a stick. Come on, do something. Yeah, and, and like, I don't envy the position of having to have, like, tribulation force as your source material, yeah. you know? But I'm also a firm believer that, like, you can make a good movie out of anything. Yeah, I think so, too. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like, again, there is a timeline out there where a good Tribulation Force movie existed. I came in with higher hopes than I should have um, of thinking, okay, there's no way they can make this worse than the book. And I think I was proven wrong. Yeah, I, I think it's worse. Even if there's things that I like that the movie does that the book did differently, it's still worse. And yeah. I feel bad because I was sitting there watching it and I found myself in the position going, Okay, so we could make this a long-running, like, streaming series, like, on one of those Christian streaming services, like a Pure Flix or something, if we were to get the right kind of, like, unknown actors, but some folks with some real talent, get them in there, get a good VFX budget, maybe try to shoot, like, on digital, don't shoot on film, and we could actually, you know, get this plot going and maybe do this over, like... 12 to 15 episodes. Shane, we can really get a series a out there. I'm trying to write a better God movie. And I don't want, I mean, unless you guys want to pay me to do it. Look, here's the thing. Um, Hey, Kevin Sorbo, um, Jerry B. Jenkins's son, whoever, if you guys are listening, um, I'll do it. I will straight up 
sell out and I will write and direct this movie, this series for you. I'm, I'm putting it out there right now. Just call me. You can email us at rapturepod at gmail.com. Yep. I will answer that call. Um, I do enjoy getting paid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, give us $4 million and we'll make you a good Left Behind movie. Uh, it's in, with inflation. We got to have more than that. Okay. Give now, you got, I got to have a budget. Give me at least the budget you guys did on the Jesus show. Yeah, now, yeah We'll, we we'll revive Left Behind. I don't have to stunt cast anybody, though I will yeah, if uh, you want me to. I'll put become, Kevin, Kevin Sorbo, I'll put you in it. You can be Rayford. Uh, us becoming grifters has a price tag on it. Just hit us up. Out of all of this. I don't know who this movie is for. And I think that that is probably the worst place you can find a movie in. Because if the movie is for people who have already read the book, what are they getting out of this movie besides like, I saw my book at the picture show. All right. So in a manner of speaking, we're kind of left behind fans at this point. Oh, and even yeah, this this movie did not appeal to the left behind fan part of my brain that I have to put on to enjoy these books. Maybe that's why I was trying to like write a better movie because mm-hmm. I was like, no, these characters deserve better. And they don't. They objectively do not. In this pocket universe that we have constructed for ourselves. Yeah, but, but I've spent a lot of time with these folks yeah. and I'm like, Come on. Like, there's got to be they're something like, better they're here. They're like your racist uncle at, at Christmas. You know, you, you just, you, you get along with them the best you can. I think the movies have avoided the surprise, we're racist yeah. uh, stuff a little bit. It's a lot more tame, palatable Sunday morning Starbucks Christianity in the movies than it is in the books. Yeah. I think they kind of locked Tim out of the writer's room. <laughs> Is what it feels like. Uh, <laughs> do you want to rate this movie? Do we rate them? I, I don't, don't know. Like wh- wh- zero, one horseman, bad. Oh, just bad movie. Like bad horse. Certified bad movie. Which like, I don't know what we were expecting. Were you expecting this to be any good? I was expecting it to be better than the book. And maybe like a tad up from the first movie. I don't know why. Yeah, see, I wasn't expecting it to be better than the book, and I knew that I didn't like the book, and so going into this, I knew I wasn't going to like the movie, and I kind of kept rooting for it. Yeah. Because, like, look, you made a movie. Movies are hard to do. Like, And when you're adapting source material that's this bad, like, you got your work cut out for you. I would love to hear some behind the scenes of this, but I know that it's all going to be like, if there is any, very stage managed, like, oh, no, no, we think God is moving in this production and we're doing a really great thing here. No, your movie's bad. Yeah. Uh, make a podcast, right? You try to make it about something interesting. And then if you're two white guys, though, you inevitably end up talking about how bad movies are. Yeah. <laughs> well, what would you have changed? I, I actually do want to ask you that. If you if I had you script doctor this movie, okay. what would you have changed? More focus on the witnesses, more focus on like the more espionage kind of stuff less romance plot and if you're gonna put it in there change it to where it's coinciding with some of the espionage stuff a little bit maybe like honestly what you do is you 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 read left behind one throw tribulation force out the window and then pick up the story creatively where you want to go i've got a change that i think would make this a lot better what zion is the point of view character yeah that would be that would be actually really good because we had buck in the last one put Hyam back in the movie um, have him interact with Zion, start the movie with Zion, cut back to him multiple times. Like you said, add some witness stuff in there, you know, have him interact with his family, have him interact with his colleagues, definitely have like the Buck and Ray stuff in there, have him interact with Nikolai, but like make him the POV character because he is supposed to be the axle that the story pivots around. Yeah. But like I said, we don't get that solidified until the final third of the movie like the movie decides to have a plot two-thirds in and so we get a 30-minute episode about zion make him the pov especially if you're trying to turn it into a franchise because who do you keep cutting back to throughout the books to have your little info dumps about what's happening in the prophecy it's always zion yeah so you cast a slightly younger more charismatic actor you give him something to sink his teeth into because zion makes no decisions he has no agency he's under Nikolai's spell from the beginning and then he's not and then he just delivers his message and that's it yeah so his character is massively underserved tell his story and make it about him have buck ray chloe all that be auxiliary 
to the rest of it and sort of bringing Zion into the tribulation force, so to speak. Yep. Man, I didn't even think about the fact that Bruce lived. Yeah. Because there's no reason for Zion to be that pivotal of a character in this universe where Bruce Barnes does not die. Also, it's funny. Bruce Barnes' sermon about the rapture looks like every single YouTube rapture uh, like sermon I've seen online. Like where he's like, the, like the, the charts and he's just like, the tribulation's coming. Oh, yeah. The Israel map yeah. and the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen many of those PowerPoints. I actually wrote in my notes, oh, Israel PowerPoint. Here we go. Right. And then also, again, change the ending to be the ending from the book if you're gonna go like if you're trying to try to follow the book's plot line end it to where you show the beginning of world war three to perfectly kind of lead into world at war i think that's good um and i kind of want to watch the third one now just to see what they do differently yeah because it may be worse than this because it is the movie that kind of killed it and they stopped making more of these i want to see how spectacularly it fails or if it's just like fine yeah, you know? yeah, they, they didn't make a, a Soul Harvest adaptation. No, so. they did not. I'm not able to find anything online about how much money that this pulled in. I think we had that for the last one, but not for this one. Yeah. Anyway, all right, man. Well, after this, now that we've had a little bit of a break, next episode we are going to move into book 10 so we can finally talk about The Remnant. Hopefully that'll be better than this movie. It has to be, right? I hope so. Yeah. Um, I hope that's better than Desecration and better than this movie because we're like... We're batting pretty low right now in terms of quality content. We're getting to like where the war between heaven and earth is like going on starting. So there has to be something interesting there. Well, here's hoping. Um, but thank you guys for coming with us on this special I Survived the Rapture movie episode. And uh, stay tuned to see us next time where we start to discuss the remnant. Until then, I'm Shane Bazell. And I'm Gavin Russell. And uh, always make sure that your makeup department puts the melted chocolate on your actress's face. Bye! Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survived the Rapture is part of the IndieSource Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit IndieSource.com and check out the IndieSource Discord. We'll see you there, and thanks for listening. And help you and leave.